0: say that I am seeing what I had never even thought or imagined. The way I describe it is, is When I would close my eyes and I would see the church filled with people, it would be almost like those people you see in video games, like when they're in the crowds, you know, you're playing one of those soccer games or basketball games, and they're in the crowd, but they're like kind of like faceless, you know, they're just like there, and you see them, you hear them, but you don't recognize any of them, and they don't have any distinguishing marks about them. And that's what it looked like. And so, as the Lord began to bring people in, and I could see the face and the story and the personality and the giftings that each one of you have brought beyond my imagination. It's amazing. And every day, by God's grace, I take what I do seriously. And I hope that I never disappoint you. That is my promise to you. I've always said to um, my friends or to others who have stumbled in the ministry, just do yourself a favor, tip out, and just leave. You know, don't do it in the ministry. At at least, you know, people will know like, hey, this, this pastor's not serving God. They want women now. They're at the club. Don't act like the club in the church. Can I hear an amen to that? But of course, sin is deceiving, so sin will make a fool out of you, and it's hard to think rationally when you're acting foolish, but that's my commitment to you, is that as long as you see me stand behind this pulpit, everything that you see me present to you will be who I am, amen? As I've asked you to pray for me and my weaknesses, as I've shared with you the ups and downs, as oftentimes services turn into TMI, well, that's just the kind of church that we have here, amen? And you don't have to go to a church like that. Let's say you wanted a church where maybe the pastor dressed a little bit nicer, didn't wear Skechers, but maybe wore Jordans or something with their sport jacket. I guess that's the cool look that's in. You know, well, that's not me. Or let's say you want a church where when they open up the Bible, it's just going to be about the Bible. You know, and the applications to you will be uh, in general. No, it's specific here, you know. What I don't do is name names, but I do talk about specific situations. So sometimes people will get offended by that. They're like, well, I know who he was, he was talking about. Good. You're smart. You figured it out. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be a secret. It's just not meant to be public knowledge for everybody to know a name. And then sometimes people are like, well, man, you up in my business. Yeah, that's my business is your business. Did you not understand that's what a pastor does? My business is your business. Turn, please, to Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Amen. I mean, that's my business. That's a good pastor. Now, I know uh, there's a difference between being in your business and being always about your business and meddling. And by God's grace, there's a a line that I won't cross. I I don't get involved in your marriage or your sex life. I remember when I first got married, there was some pastors that wanted to talk to me about my sex life. And I'm like, ooh, this feels weird. I really don't feel like talking to you about that. And they're like, oh, no, it's okay. We talked to all of our friends about this. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm not one of those friends then. I'm talking like they wanted to get into the nitty-gritty, and I'm just like, it's good. That's all you need to know. You know, you don't need to know everything else. Like, my love life with my wife is good. And then now, like six children later, you can see how good it is, okay? Okay. But, like, that's how some pastors are. Others, you know, really want to get into your dating life and and give you words about everything what cereal to eat in the morning, how to put on your shoes. I believe God purposely has told me not to do those kinds of things because it's already intimidating enough that I have to stand up here once a week with the Bible and act like I know something you don't. Amen? I mean, that's how most people think of pastors. He knows something I don't, you know, and that's not really what we do. We're just out here sharing what the Word of God is, and you may know it, and you may not know it, but I'm not a know-it-all. I may not know more than you. I may not be better than this at at, at Christianity than you, but I'm going to be the best I can be. I'm going to know as much as I can. Amen? And so when, when, when people hear us as pastors describe our lives, describe situations, oftentimes people get uncomfortable. They're like, man, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable and being nosy, but if if sin or situations that happen in the church or in your lives or our culture make you feel uncomfortable, then, then you got to get over that. Amen? Like I always tell the story when Super Bowl happened and my wife and I said we didn't like the way Shakira and Jennifer Lopez were shaking their money makers for everybody to see. And, and just, you know, like half of our, more than half of our church has Latino background, you know. And then like people I, I never thought would have got offended, got offended. They're like, oh, you're criticizing my culture. This is my culture. And I'm like, J-Lo is not your culture. I'm like, this is your culture. Sarah is your culture. Amen. Hagar is your culture. Women of God, you know, people who did the right thing. You know, Deborah's your culture. Phoebe's your culture. That would be like somebody like Latino over here getting mad at Miley Cyrus and me, and me being like, you're offending my culture. Miley Cyrus is my culture. I'm white and that's my white culture. Man, it's Christ culture. Amen? So I know as a pastor, we always get that. And, and believe it or not, I know it sounds weird. We have people leave our church over Facebook posts. And I know some of you are already knowing like who that person is. Yeah, you're supposed to know that person and go tell them. That's stupid. Oh, is he talking about so and so? Probably you have about four or five people in your mind right now, and they're not the same four or five. I'm telling you, because people will do. It. But the the problem is is that people don't know how to hear what their pastors are saying, even if they disagree, and say, "Well, thank God somebody's telling me something to think about today." I mean, what would you rather have me do? Just put up a picture of myself every week and tell you about the new book and conference that I have, and speak so speak so lukewarm. You never know where I stand on anything. Well, is he happy abortion is over or is he sad? I mean, what is he talking about when it comes to abortion? Women have their own issues, and we have to pray for them. You know, like I was looking at these pastors during that time of Roe v. Wade. I'm like, what are you saying, dude? Are you running for Congress? Like, what? Are you a politician? We don't need politicians and professionals in the pulpit. We need preachers of God's Word. Amen? And those are the kind of preachers I listen to in respect, just to be honest with you. And so this is just my prayer for you, whether you agree with every Facebook post or not, whether you agree with every situation and how it's handled. I I don't agree with you, and I still love you. Amen? You do stuff I don't agree with. Do you want me to get in your life and tell you everything I disagree with about you? Do you want me to leave your behind every time I disagree with you? <laughs> I, would be, I would be a lonely, homeless pastor. Okay, I finally got a church of one person now. Oh, I disagreed with this one. Okay, Lord, I'm going to go back on my journey. I would be the homeless, hobo pastor trying to find one person I could always agree with. And as I told you before, I don't always agree with myself. I'm still wondering, did I put on the right clothes this morning? argue with myself. Maybe I should put on a sweater. I don't know. Did I wear the right jeans? I'm telling you. And then we leave churches over these things, right? And so this is all that I ask. You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to always like what I do. You don't even have to appreciate my sense of humor as some have already laughed during this message. As you know, I'm not a comedian. I don't say like jokes. And whenever I do, they're mostly not funny, you know, like those old pastor dad jokes. You don't even have to like my personality in that way. By the way, I don't like everyone's personality here, okay? I don't think all of you are funny, okay? So so here, here's here's how it works. Do you still appreciate me? I'm just being honest. There are some people that they tell a joke, they laugh at it, and they're the funniest person they've ever met. I look at those people, and I'm like, you're laughing at your own jokes. I, I'm not laughing, but that's okay. That's your personality. But that's how people are. That's, I mean, you're going to find people of all different, different strokes of life, okay, uh, different ways of doing things. But here's what I ask. This is honestly my heart for you. You had all of these options today. You could have gone wherever you wanted on a Sunday morning. You could have gone for a certain vibe, as the kids say this, these days. You could have gone for something that was totally different than this. Okay, you're here now. We're here together. This is what I ask. Have confidence in your leaders. Until I give you a reason, either by doctrine, which is teaching something false, either by my lifestyle being a flagrant foul of God's word, like red flag on the plate, it is a sin, or something has not lined up in the finances or the procedures of the church. Other than that, stick around for a while. Amen? I said amen. Amen. Just stick around for a while and watch what God will do. Because you won't always agree with people, you know, on the uh, other things of life. You're not always going to find personalities that you like. You're not always going to like somebody's sense of humor. I'm telling you, I listen to every one of my messages at double speed by the time I get home. So both messages have already been digested. I've already critiqued myself. Okay, I'm with you. I'm not saying I do this right every single way. I'm not saying every joke is done the right way. Some of my jokes are off color. Some of the things that I say I feel bad about. Some of the things, you know, X, Y, and Z I could have changed and I kept myself when I put words in the wrong place and you guys are nice to me and you let me do that and somebody standing up going, you switch words around in a story. Okay. But here's what we're asking is can you have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because biblical authority comes through God's people. And we, we may not see today a big steeple in this church. We may not see stained glass. We may not see somebody dressing up like mother and we call them father. We may not see the the funny pointed hat on our leader today, okay? We may not have those traditions, but what we have is the authority of God's word. And the church throughout all ages has had to rely on this. We haven't always had the bells and smells of nice cathedrals. Notre Dame wasn't always there. Before Notre Dame was there, there were Christians with this Bible. Before there were popes dressing up in all of their extravagance, there was Peter going to Rome to be crucified upside down. Before there were popular pastors on TV and conferences being had, there was the underground church of the Roman Empire, and still to this day, as we talk about here, the persecution of the church. And so my brothers and sisters, I want you to see this because they or I or we keep watch over you as those who must give an account. You see, we keep watch over you. We are part of your accountability, just as you're part of my accountability the church makes the pastor, and the pastor makes the church together with the Lord. And I want you to hear that again, because it, it's gone over my head sometimes, and I want you to hear it. I, as a part of the leadership here, will make a church a certain way, like God will use us to have a church a certain way. This, this kind of church likes amening, and if you don't, then I call you Presbyterians, Amen. I'll say, you're quiet for a Presbyterian church. Can I hear the Pentecostals say amen? And then you'll say, amen. Oh, he's teasing me. I'm not a Presbyterian. What are even those? Those are the frozen chosen, you know, half kid. You know, no, no, you know, I'll tease. Well, that's this kind of church. And then some of you know my pastor-isms. I saw a Facebook post, which like it was being shared, you know, say the one-liners that your pastor says all the time, you know, busted and disgusted. And, you know, can I get an amen? And all these one-liners. Okay, so that's kind of like what personalities come through in the church. But more than that, a pastor and the pastoral leadership will make a church with certain ingredients and certain focuses that will become unique to that independent church, to that local church. And then that church, those people's uh, reception of that message and reflection of what they're hearing will then impact the leadership So, for example, when I first started this church, I had very much a strong sense of evangelism for every member, and I had to learn how to do that. Now, how many know the heart of evangelism is still in this church, and we expect every member to do it, and we make opportunities for you to do it? And if you're new, we teach you and and bring you on to the highway of evangelism slow. There's an on-ramp you can get on. How many have gone through the on-ramp of evangelism with us? You started about 35, now you're going about 70. 75 you feeling good out there. I love seeing your growth as you come new to the church and then I watch you grow in evangelism. But at the beginning of our church there was an elder that just couldn't keep up with everything because he was older than all the other elders and had a family and teenagers that were already in high school. And at that time, we were doing ball Fest like three days, and we would do it from a certain time in the the evening all the way till night when they would shut it down. Then we would take a small break and then go out to Belmont and Clark. Somebody would would like that kind of an outreach, Amen. (laughs) And so somewhere around, I I think we would do Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, somewhere around like Saturday at 1 in the morning, (laughs) this brother's looking at me like, man, I can't keep up with this. This is hard. This is hard. Well, instead of him sticking around, he just wanted to go find another church and just said, well, you guys are too young and radical. You need some more experience to handle us before I can feel loved here and, and be appreciated. But you know what? It was over that next year as I began to, as a pastor, look at the other families of the church and go, well, you know, uh, we probably need to make different opportunities for evangelism, different speeds, different paces. And that brother, as I went and talked to him after that, took almost two years to find a church. And now the church that he's a part of doesn't do evangelism. You see what happened there? All it was, see, all he had to do was just say, you know what? I got to confess to the pastor I need a break, and then the church could come alongside and start figuring it out. But if we in our disagreements don't figure it out together, we lose. So we lost an elder for over a year, had to replace them over time, and he lost, and still to this day, doing evangelism. All he had to do was pull back a little bit, and then I pull back a little bit, and then the church grows together. And so sometimes people see in the church what the pastors don't see yet. I remember talking with a woman in my office, and uh, she was from Brazil, and she was on her way back to Brazil. She had served with us during her time here for about a year, and we always have exit interviews when people leave, and oftentimes they don't want the exit interview. They just call that uh, Facebook. But we do let them have a chance to tell us what they really think about us, because we actually love people, and this woman was telling us, she said, well, you know what? as a single lady, it was just hard doing children's ministry the way that you set, set it up here. And I said, oh, I've never heard that before. What do you mean? And she said, well, number one, I don't have kids, and I would just prefer to be in church and, and be there. And if you remember last week, uh, Cynthia, well, that might was that second service Cynthia testified? It was second service. Cynthia goes, she felt that same way, but by staying in that, it helped to prepare for the children she has now. But, but anyways, no, we, we, we really listened to her. So we're like, okay, we get it. Like, you're single, man. You're, you want to be in church? And and I said, well, explain more to me. And she goes, well... There's a bad attendance record in the children's ministry. She said, I'm faithful by God's grace. I'm coming every week, but there's people who only come once a month. And so I'll have to fill in for them. And then I will be back there three, sometimes almost every week. I'll be back there three times a month, four times. And I said, You know what? That's amazing. We're going to talk about that. And so we asked the other sisters in the church, how do you guys feel about that? And they said, Yeah, it seems like there's the faithful who are always doing it. And then the others who just kind of rotate in whenever they want and so we're back here all the time so then you know what we said we said women we are now releasing the children's ministry to you and your families you guys start a co-op and if you want to volunteer to be a part of it because we're not going to require it anymore and now look at all these children right here they couldn't put it together they still can't I know y'all know to clap or laugh but just do both it's okay you're in church but seriously, and every now and then you'll see a woman going, I just want my kids in Sunday school. And then the other women now are trained to go, great, you start the co-op and start doing it. and We'll figure out who else wants to do it with you. <laughs> and then real quick, the woman goes, well, you mean I just don't drop them off and show up maybe once a week to volunteer? No, you run it until you get other people to help you with it. And then you see them bring the kids the next week. But there are other churches, seriously, I visited my friend's church, Um, I won't name his name because I don't want you to think I'm talking bad about him, but he had four services, I was preaching there, at four services, the team would work all four services, all four services. You talk about, you know, having an exit interview, I want to know what those people are like after three sessions of therapy. I don't even know if I want to go to church for four services and do the same thing. Can I hear an amen if you've been there before? It's like, hey, man, I love you, and I love your kids, but I don't know about four services. But God bless them. There's some people, seriously, there's some people who want to do that. There's a church that we used to share with here that was a Latino congregation. They used to give it to us. Back in the day, the Latinos had to ask the gringos for help. I had to ask the Latino for help. And they're like, well, you get the afternoon one, you know? So I was like, okay, I'll take the afternoon one. They would start around 9 o'clock. We would get here around 1 o'clock. They're still going. (laughs) That's just how some church is. Can I hear an amen if you've ever been a part of that? Well, that's not here, so we just gave the moms a choice. But you know what? Someone had to be honest with us and say, hey, what about this? What about that? Now, there are things that you just can't change. You know, If somebody goes, well, I'm not really into discipleship, well, that's when we go, I don't think this church is for you. Well, uh, I I don't like that pastor talks about certain situations or goes on Facebook and does whatever he does. Well, then this church is not for you because we're not changing that. You know, or, you know, I I don't like that you guys, you know, talk about sexual sin, homosexuality, etc. You know, well, those things, we're just not going to change that. But as a church grows, we all change. You change, I change. Stick around for a while and watch what happens. One last testimony. I was speaking to my uh, childhood pastor yesterday. We finally connected and uh, sadly Pastor Ron Ron fell down last week. Uh, He's like 76. He don't know if he passed out. He did have a heart attack a while back, but he fell down and he's not doing so well right now. So you pray for Pastor Ron Allen. If you ever think of him, he's a childhood pastor of mine. But I was talking to him and you know what I said? I said, I've come around to a lot of the positions you told me about early on that I didn't understand. You know, one of the things he said to me as a pastor as he uh, was listening to some of my sermons, and he said, you know what I think you should do one time? I think you should preach with your children around you. And I'm like, that is the goofiest thing I've ever heard, dude. But this is, he's a grandpa at that time. I was probably maybe six years ago. I don't know. He's probably in his 70s, you know, telling me that. And I'm like, preach with my children around me. He's like, yeah, you just need to do it. He said, I think people oftentimes think you're too rough and tough and all of that. You know, and I'll be honest with you. I never even thought twice about it. But one day I was preaching, and some of you guys can remember these times. You might have been around for one. I'll call up my kids, not just for an example, but there was one whole sermon. I held one of my children the whole time. Does anybody remember that? <laughs> I held my, ch- I held one of my children, and some of you came to me and you were like, "That's the most sweetest thing I've ever seen. That's amazing." And you know what? I didn't just do it for your reactions. I actually did it because God told me to do it, and then you know what it did? It reminded me of Jesus always having children around him. And then another thing he said to me is, he said, "Man, you uh, you're pretty hard on all these Catholics and all these you know Presbyterians, all these churches that have been around for a while. You need to remember they got some good in them too, you know." And uh, and I said, "Well." They're not on fire. I would rather be on a live horse than a dead horse. I'm not going on a dead horse, okay? So that's just... (laughs) And and you can talk to anybody who's been around me. I don't care if they're in their 70s. They've been pastoring for 50 years. They only get one Joe, this Joe right here, okay? Okay? So he had to endure with me on that. Well, as I continue to study the Word of God, I have now come to embrace, and some of you might have heard it in, in, in one of these services, where that, when the Bible says he's going to come back for his bride, that's, that's spotless and blameless. I believe that's because everyone out of the body of Christ is going to come and join together, whether they're in the Catholic Church or in the Presbyterian Church. In other words, we're either going to share a church service together or a jail cell together. Now, that doesn't count for Mormons and so forth, and it doesn't mean the difference don't count. It just means that we have to have a spirit of unity in the wider body of Christ. Pentecostals aren't the only ones going to heaven, and I and I'm just being honest. I told him that yesterday. I said I've come around on that, and you see, that's what happens is you change, and when you do it. In a church that loves you, it's okay. No one holds it against you. They give you grace. And so that's what we're asking. We're asking for your confidence, for your prayers. And then it says, do this, do these things, having confidence in your leaders and submitting to their authority. Because they're going to give an account. God's going to take care of it. But you do this, that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no benefit for you. And then highlight verse 18, pray for us. Amen. And so that's what uh, I ask you to do during this time of appreciation, and we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Would you open up your Bibles with me now to John chapter 12 as we talk about the fragrance of worship. If you're ready to learn about worship, can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. I was teasing Lauren, and I said, you know, the kind of the easiest way I know you appreciate me is you show up on Sunday. Like I said, there's people who leave over the most trivial things. You don't appreciate me. I get that, you know? The one who shows up, you appreciate me. Let's get to work, amen? It's like you show you appreciate that restaurant today when you sit down and eat some of that food. If you don't like it, you're not going there because you had a choice to go to that restaurant. And so thank you for coming to eat the word of the Lord with us today. I hope that it served up the way that you like it. Look at uh, John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And we learned about that in the previous chapter. Here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor, and Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, which is like oil, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus's feet and wiped his feet with her hair. How many of you got to love somebody, ladies, to do that with your hair? Any volunteers, lady, to wipe your feet, wipe your hair on wipe somebody's feet with your hair. Let me say it one more time. <laughs> Let me say it one more time. Ladies, would you volunteer to wipe somebody's feet with your hair? No. You only had to love them, right? You would do it for Jesus, but that's some real love right there. She poured this expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Verse 4. But one of his disciples, uh, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Think about our average year wage 30,000, 40,000. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Verse 7, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. She, excuse me, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, and watch this here, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, who was raised from the dead. So Jewish people here, man, Lazarus is there. Oh, is this the one that's raised from the dead? Yeah, he's over there. Verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to do what with Lazarus? Kill him as well. How many know you've got to be hard in your heart to see a man raised from the dead and say, now I want to kill that guy? For on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Somebody say worship. Amen. I don't think I can do justice to this kind of a message without having the keyboardist back up here. So Lawrence, would you please come? Because I don't want this just to be taught. I want it to be caught. Here you have this woman bringing her life savings bringing all that is valuable to her and pouring it on the feet of Jesus. Then taking the crown of her beauty, which Paul speaks of, the crowning glory of her beauty, her hair, and then wiping it on the feet of Jesus. We know at this time they mostly wore sandals and that the open roads were full of dirt and animal feces. And so when people would wash, feet they would do it with water and generally this would be the lowest position in the house the servant would do this and we see this woman who is Jesus's friend they have a relationship that goes just beyond the outer or the professional she's been a part of Jesus's life for a while but she doesn't take Jesus for granted at this moment led by the Holy Spirit she pours $30,000 of value onto Jesus' feet. And then her dignity, which is of an innumerable amount. You couldn't put a cost on the dignity of a human, a value on that. She gives it to Jesus by wiping his feet with her hair. This is the kind of God that we serve that someone would do that freely. Think about how precious Jesus had to be in her heart. You see, other religions require this of people, but not free worship. When you think about going to the black stone of Mecca and kissing it and giving your dignity to that stone, it's commanded of you to do that or to go march around their Mecca or you think about the Hindus and the way they dress up their gods. And Indiana Jones type mentality is actually true. They have found billions of dollars worth of valuables in those Hindu temples while the whole village is starving and being in poverty. Because people feel that they have to give their gods something to stop the pain of their life. And yet Jesus doesn't require this. Jesus doesn't come as a pimp and demand it. Jesus is just sitting there. And now she gets a taste of heaven. Because that's what they're doing in front of his throne even right now. Pouring out this incense. Pouring out this incense before his feet. The angels worshiping him. And so we see this is a free act of worship. Go to John chapter 4. We've already been told how God wants to be worshiped when he meets Jesus, the woman at the well. Starting in John chapter 4, verse 19, the woman's confused because the Jewish people did have a lot of ceremony for their worship that God demanded. Nothing like this, but things they had to do, the festivals they had to keep, the sacrifices. And yet, in John chapter 4, verse 19, and onward, She says, The woman at the well to Jesus, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you, Jews, claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem, which is true for the old covenant. There was a place, there was a procedure that Jews had to to abide by. And now, look what Jesus says Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, Or in Jerusalem. Think about that. The procedures of worship are going to be removed. And so what's going to remain is those who truly know how to worship Jesus without needing to be told what to do and how to do it. Worship will come from the heart. The procedures of the Old Testament were given as an elementary lesson as something that you would just need to know as the basics. Let's say you want to be an entrepreneur. You need to know two plus two is four, but that doesn't automatically make you a millionaire or a billionaire. But knowing that can bring you to the creativity of business. Here in the Old Testament, they're going to learn about worship, but they're not truly learning how to become a successful worshiper to the level that the Bible says they're going to ascend to. That is just their starting place. That's why David is known as a worshiper in the Old Testament because he doesn't just wait for the priest to have a ceremony. uh, David starts worshiping Jesus on his own. David doesn't wait just for the festival to tell God how much he loves him. He loves him whenever he wants, and that's whenever he wants to. And that's where we begin to learn about David. David's going to be the example of the warrior worshiper who's going to show us spontaneous, heartfelt worship. And so he says, woman, it's not here or there. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. And that is what so many people are doing right now in the church is they're worshiping a God they've only heard about. They're worshiping a Jesus they've only seen in pictures on a cross. He's saying to this woman, I know you know about God, but you're really worshiping a God you don't know. You don't know intimately. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come. Somebody say, now come. Thank you. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And so worshiping is not just a song, though it includes songs. It's not just poetry, though it includes them. It's a heart yielded to God. You want to know what worship looks like? Saying yes to Jesus. It's giving God your yes. It's giving God your everything. Worship will not be marked just by you giving God what is convenient. Worship will cost you something, but it will be worth the reward. And so we hear in John chapter 4 what it's supposed to look like, worshiping in spirit and in truth. And where's our example of that? John chapter 12. No one told that woman she had to get down on her knees and do that. No one told her that she had to pour it all out. She could have poured out just some. No one told her she needed to use her hair. She could have used a rag. What moved her that day was her gratitude, her thankfulness. She understood that her hair was a gift from God. And if she doesn't give that gift to God, it's pointless because it just turns to dust, doesn't it? come on ladies still dyeing it and doing all that work with it but it just turns to dust doesn't it she said I'm going to give it to God perfume yeah it's great she could have had it spaced out over her life but how many more opportunities would she have to be at the feet of Jesus that was probably it before all the other events began to happen I mean, you and I, we oftentimes think we have tomorrow to give more to God. As the old timers used to say, Tomorrow is in the fool's calendar. You don't have tomorrow. You only have today. Have you poured out that which is the most precious to you? Because you can't wait for tomorrow. You have to give it today. And then we see in the midst of this awesome worship, spirit and in truth, it's true that's Jesus. Jesus alone deserves it. It's true that everything she has in her body belongs to Jesus. So this is normal. This is what heaven's like, giving God your yes and surrendering everything to Him. While she's doing that, does everybody appreciate it? No. You have somebody there that can't mind their own business. You have Judas who out of jealousy has to mock her and call it a waste. Looking at the context of John chapter 12, look at it. What a waste, he says. This perfume could have been sold and given to the poor. And Jesus has to rebuke him. And I think about all throughout my life, as I've worshiped God... As I've given him my all, as I've laid down my life at his feet, people have said to me, what a waste. Joe, you could have given your life to something else. What a waste. We just heard this last week when we were preaching at the abortion clinic as a Satanist was mocking us. And I said, why would you worship the loser? I worship the winner. And then he said, well... You know, we really don't believe in Satan. We just use him as an example of free thought, being individuals, not submitting to a church and all of those things. And I said, listen, you have a creator and you have to give an account to that creator. And if this God is the God of the Bible, you're going to be in hell for rejecting his life and his purpose and his plan. In other words, that perfume will be wasted one way or the other. It will be wasted because it's never properly used or it will be wasted in the eyes of the world as you pour it on Jesus. But either way, it's going to be wasted. What is the true waste? The true waste of your life is not giving it to God. That's really not a waste, is it? You're really not wasting your life. You're using your life for that which matters most. And so here's this hater hating on this woman saying it could have been used for such and such a thing and Jesus knew his heart because really he wanted it for his own benefit. And I want everyone to look up at me please. Anyone who doesn't like you giving all your love to Jesus is jealous of you because they want what you're giving Jesus for themselves. Parents who don't like children loving Jesus? Well, you spend too much time at that church. You need to do more things over here. You know what? When you used to, when you didn't go to church, you used to do all these family things. And now we don't like seeing you go to church like that. It's not that they're so concerned about family things. They just see you pouring everything on Jesus and they want a little bit of that. You see them? They want a little bit of that. It's not like the atheistic world out there, the world that hates God and everything, is just so good at life and they have to scream at us because they feel sorry for us when we're preaching on the streets. No, you know what they want? They want our worship. They want us to bow down to what they bow down to. They bow down to entertainers. They want us to bow down to entertainers. They bow down to their sexuality. They want us to worship their sexuality. It's not that they're offering us something better to pour our perfume on. They're offering us themselves to pour it on. Don't pour it on Jesus, pour it on me. You see how the world does that? And Jesus says, you're always going to have the poor with you. But now is the time to do this for me. And when you do that, you will have a closeness to Jesus that no one else has. Your closeness to Jesus will be second to none because everybody hear this today. Our God has enough room in his heart for each one of us to have a special place. I cannot replace the special place that you have in God's heart. I can only fill the place that I have. And so you will either give your life to Jesus and fill that part of the purpose he made you for or it's going to go unfulfilled. Now I'm not saying Jesus is going to be sad forever and I'm not saying Jesus won't punish but think about why he made each one of us. He made us for worship. Go with me quickly to Psalm 95.6. The duty of man is to worship God, to enjoy him in his presence. The worship of God is not just to humiliate us and to make us look like mere servants washing his feet. Because what she was doing wasn't as a mere servant. What servant would be that extravagant? You see, what she was doing was becoming a lover of Jesus. Not just a servant of Jesus. Because remember, servants in that day could have gotten away with a whole lot less. Just water and a towel, wash the feet and move on. So she's not being degraded and made humble. She's not being humiliated. She's actually being exalted. At that place of worship, she is finding the purpose of why she's been made. The psalmist said it like this, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Watch. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. You know what she had that day in that house? She had the shepherd's attention. And the attention that she had from the shepherd melted his heart. You can see the heart of Jesus being melted in her worship. Because watch this. He didn't need our worship. He would be content without it. But he wanted our worship. He could be in a fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit God triune in one, the Father with the Son and the Spirit. They could be in perfect unity, but they wanted sheep in their pasture like us to fulfill a place in their purpose that only each one of us can fulfill. Will you take your place at Jesus' feet and worship? Because only your worship and your sacrifice can bring fulfillment for what God made you for. I can't worship for you. You can't worship for me. I cannot take your place. You cannot take my place. And I think about each one of us and how special we are to God that he would make us this way. When God made us, he could have made us all alike all be robots all have the same emotions all have the same soul all have the same thoughts and yet he makes us individual so that each one of us can have a place at his feet go to Psalm 102 look at your neighbor say you can't take my spot come on you can't take my spot of worship this is where I belong Psalm 102 says do not hide your face from me When I call in distress, turn your ear to me. When I call, answer me quickly. Keep going. Verse three for my days vanish like smoke, my bones burn like glowing embers, my heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. I am distressed. I groan aloud, and I am reduced to skin and bones. I am like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. Listen to how it feels. Not only in your hardest time, but I want everybody to get this. I believe David is also prophesying what it feels like when you die. You become nothing but skin and bones. You're alone. No matter who can sit next to you in that hospital bed, you're alone in your heart unless you have God with you. Are you listening to me? Because you're about ready to take a journey where no one else can go. I eat ashes as my food. My, I mingle my drink with tears because of your great wrath, for you have taken up and thrown me aside. My days are like the evening shadow. Now, watch this. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. One of the new shows that I like to watch with my kids is Pawn Stars. Anybody ever seen it before, Pawn Stars? I don't know. I just got back into it. I used to watch it a while ago. Now I'm back into it. And I love watching it with my kids because they learn about American history, you know. They learn about all these things that have come on before and we guess what things are worth. And let me just tell you something. Nothing makes me happier than to watch somebody think they have a million dollars worth of stuff and they say it's only worth two cents. Does anybody else get happy with that? Maybe I'm okay, just us. And I'll tell you why it makes me happy, because people idolize these things. Like, if they came in there all humble, then I would be disappointed with them. But they come in there thinking, it's worth so much. I have Elvis's brush. And they're like, it's worth $10 or something, you know. But I, I, I understand something now watching that show that I don't, I didn't understand before. Is that everybody passes away. And very few remember them. I was, I was watching one show, and uh, they were bringing in things like from the 50s and 60s, which were popular back then, you know, like The Who and Rolling Stones, and I thought, man, okay, one of these concert shirts, it's going to be worth a couple thousand dollars, and they're like, no one even knows who these kids, the kids don't even know who these people are anymore. Seriously. I was watching another one. The guy brought him into his room. He had 70,000 albums, you know, uh, records. And Chum Lee goes through there and only finds about three that he likes. And I'm like, garbage. Nobody cares about these anymore. It used to be cool. It was like a fad in the 80s and 90s, used the old records. But I'm telling you, nobody even cares now about that. Lunch boxes of He-Man. Maybe my generation, but now it's so much Pokemon and all this. And that somebody brought in a Beanie Baby. I'll go on for a little bit, but just talk with me here. Somebody brought in a Beanie Baby, and, and, and they said, I've been holding on to this for years. And, they, and, the, and the person, you know, telling them the estimate said, oh, if you would have brought this in 10, 15 years ago, you would have got 5000 for this thing. Now it's worth about 50 bucks because nobody cares about Beanie Babies anymore. Listen to me, my friends. Listen to me. Give about three or four generations and no one will care about you anymore. You want me to prove it? Tell me who your great-great-grandma is. Tell me three facts about her. You don't care. Great-great-grandpa, you don't know and you don't care. A few generations from now, that will be us. All of us. Now look at what David says, but you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. What is that woman doing in John chapter 12? She's sitting in front of the timeless one, she's doing something with her hair that will last forever. She's doing something with $30,000 worth of perfume that will be told forever and forever and forever. Our worship is that which God holds on to and he never forgets. Hey, hey, hey. Here's my grandmother. She was friends with Ronald Reagan when he was an actor. Look at this, she played Marilyn Monroe's mother in a movie. Do you remember her? She gave her life to acting. She gave her life to Hollywood. She gave her life to men like Ronald Reagan. Do you remember her? And everybody on the show is like, I don't remember her. I don't remember what she did. Listen to me. Jesus in heaven goes around to the angels. Angels. You see that one right there? I remember when that one worshipped me. In the middle of their hardest time, in the middle of their valley, when they felt like they were eating ash and they were nothing but skin and bones, I remember them. Not just now. A million years from now, Jason, I remember that time. You poured out everything. I remember. What does God remember about humanity? Our worship. And yes, worship, as I said, is more than singing songs and poems. He remembers what we did as unto Him as we served Him in our lives and on our jobs and all the works that we did for Him. But I know there is a special place in the heart of God because this story says so for those who give it all in their emotional, heartfelt worship with the tears streaming down their face, knowing that their life is but a vapor, I have only this, but I pour it out all to you turn quickly to Psalm 132 verse 7 in closing. Are you ready to worship him again? Are you ready to lay it all at his feet? Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool saying, watch this. Are you ready for this? Woo! Y'all better be ready for this. Let us go to his dwelling place. Talking about God. Let us Worship at where he kicks up his feet, saying, this is what we're going to say when we are there, arise, Lord, come to your resting place. Touch your heart and say, this is where God takes a break. Come on, this is where God rests. Come to your resting place. You and the ark of your might. It's the covenant. Come with your covenant. May your priests be clothed with your righteousness. May your faithful people sing for joy. What they saw in the Old Testament is that God loved to be with them. Is that God wanted to be with them. There was an old skit that we used to do when we would host mission teams because I worked in New Orleans and New Orleans got a lot of attention, and people always wanted to come preach with us on the streets in Bourbon Street, pray for Adam Field. He's there right now with uh, Brother Troy and Raven Team, just loving God and people. And this is the one that we would always teach him. We would teach him the sin chair, which is a different sermon, and then we would teach him crucifying Jesus. I would say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the Iberville Projects, and you guys are going to do this skit in front of everybody, and then I'll preach, and then we'll give out our groceries. You guys ready? And like, yeah, we're ready. Okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And then this is the, the skit. Friends hanging out. The one is a Christian, and the friends decide that they're going to go out and do bad things. And then she, the Christian, sees Jesus calling her. And we usually have Jesus off to the side saying, don't go with your friends. Jesus is over here, and he's calling you. Go to Jesus, right? But then her friends keep tempting her, boyfriends, sex, money, drugs, all of that, tempting her. And Jesus is there. You can see he wants her to spend time with him. And you can see the heart of Jesus. And Jesus starts to get closer to her. wrap his arms around her. And the temptation gets greater among her friends. And so now you can see this this tension. Here is Jesus wanting to spend time with her, be close to her, and now her friend's wanting to drag her away. And she sees Jesus. And then she walks over to Jesus and takes his hands and says, Jesus, his other hand. And then his feet, you stay here. I don't care how many times I've told it or seen it, it gets my heart every time. Because that's what this world does. And that's what we've done. When we don't worship Jesus, we're crucifying Jesus with our sin and our idolatry. When we don't give Jesus our lives and say, my heart is your resting place. We commit adultery on him and we go somewhere else and say, have all of me. And the Bible says, then we become the trick in the hoe of the devil. Lifting up our skirt to anything that passes by. Any pleasure that gives us a little bit of meaning in life. While we've crucified our Lord and Savior. But you know what that woman did that day? And by the way, there's three Recollections in the Gospels of a woman doing this with Jesus. Scholars have argued from it being three separate times to one time being told differently. But listen, some believe that this is the one who had demons cast out of her. That this is the one that had been a prostitute. This Mary, the sister of Martha, is also the one we know as Mary Magdalene. If this is... We can put it all into one. If it's not, we'll tell a little bit of that other Mary story here because it's fitting. Listen to me. The world only wants you to use you. But Jesus wants you to fill you and to satisfy you. And what she had once been filled with with demons that tormented her and a pimp and a lifestyle that did, did nothing but pain, Jesus is now accepting her and changing her all through love. Now religion, people say, you're going to pray the gay away? No, Jesus will love the gay away. Jesus will love the addiction away. Jesus will love the anger away. How many here have been set free by the love of God? You have been set free because He so loved the world. Amen? The love transforms you. You're not, you're not here because of religion. You're here because you want to. And so when we offer up our hearts as Jesus' resting place, and we give everything that we have, we haven't wasted anything. We've done what we're made for for we were made for this we were made to be the aroma of Jesus everywhere we go and the Bible says in Corinthians that some places we go people smell that aroma and they're turned off by it how many of you have been turned off by what somebody thought was a good aroma my wife sometimes sometimes put on stuff and I'm like please stop never again I don't like that stuff I'll be honest and sometimes my wife does it for me she's like no don't spray that on yourself again we'll spray that outside don't put it on Okay but watch the Bible says some they hear about us worshiping Jesus they smell that aroma and they're turned off by it because it reminds them of what they're not doing for Jesus and then others they smell it and somebody today said I smelled good who said I smelled good Don't don't be embarrassed. Somebody I hugged today. Have they just left the room? But literally you just said, oh, there he is, Ezekiel. Thank you, my brother. Let's give it up for Ezekiel for complimenting his pastor. He, He appreciated me today. We clap for anything in church. That's what we do. You smell good. Yeah. I try to. And that's what we're doing when we go around the world and we preach the gospel. Now in this sentimental moment, I want you to hear me especially for the dudes here, because a lot of guys, they struggle with this. They're like, I'm not a woman. I don't have long hair. I don't have no, you know, spike nard. I'm not pouring this out. What are you talking about? I smell like wood, Pastor. I smell like grease. I smell like I've been at the lumber yard. You know, I smell like I've been putting up a building. or I smell like drywall. I want to speak to all my masculine men, or masculine leaning females, okay? The Whoever you are, because there are some women you would rather slap a man than tell him something nice, you know? Some of you just aren't the complimentary type, okay? Too sassy. Talking to all y'all right now, listen. This is not according to your personality type. This is not according to your personality type. How do I know? Because before I was a Christian, I never cried. I never felt sentimental. I didn't have it in me naturally. I was not a sentimental person. But now, even during this message, tears have come into my eyes at different points. The reason is, is because men and those who lean this way, you and I have been taught to only give these things towards our family and towards our country or maybe our job. Maybe you'll cry every now and then on the job. You know, get so mad you cry. But listen... You have not truly lived until you've given it towards your God. And I know it feels weird at first, but trust me, it sets your soul free. I feel as a man, I have avoided, and and psychologists will tell you this, so much of a midlife crisis because I allow myself to cry in God's presence as I see the futility of my life. The old monks used to have skulls on their tables, and they would burn candles out of them. And sometimes we would look at that like, that's crazy. Know why they would do that? To remind them of their mortality. While they were serving God, I will one day become like this skull. Men, you must understand this. All of our glory, all of our hard work will fade away like grass. If you can see yourself as David, as a worshiping warrior, You will find purpose in hitting the hammer, going to your job, working behind that desk. Because otherwise, it's all just a waste of time. It it really is. Every house that you've built eventually is going to be torn down. Every pipe that you fix is going to be replaced eventually. Everything you did behind the desk for somebody, they're going to die along with you and that paperwork's going to be forgotten. And so find your purpose in Jesus. Let a good cry out every now and then. You know, sometimes in my, my, my hardest days, I think of those scriptures. What am I, God? Why do you care about me so much? I'm just made of dust. Why do you care about my life so much, God, that you want to be with me today? And then it just hits me. You know Why? Because I was made to be more than just a father. I was made to be more than just a pastor. I was made to be more than just an author. And when that hits you, I don't care who you are. I'm speaking to everybody now. When that hits you, tears will flow down your eyes. And you'll just say, gracias, Señor. You'll say, thank you, Jesus, that you've dignified my life for these few years that I'm here. You've given me purpose. Even if nobody else on the job appreciates me, even if today is not a good day in my family, even if financially I'm getting rocked with all these bills, God, you're with me. You're never going to leave me. You're never going to forsake me, and you're bringing me home. And then you can see the big picture. Clearly, that's what you were made for. Amen? And so going to that story with the woman, we have something to give God. And it's called Our Lives. And I'm pouring it all out on Jesus today. And I don't care what anyone else says because he's worth it. Amen? Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus? We love you, Lord. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? In closing, we worship you with our lives. We give you everything and we put it before your feet today. Would you right now lay lay at the feet of Jesus everything that's precious to you? Lord, I give you my job. Lord, I give you my family. I give you the years of my life. I give you my hopes and my dreams. I lay them at your feet, Jesus, and I worship you. I worship you. Would you remember me, Jesus, as I come into your kingdom one day? Would you remember this worship? Would this worship capture your heart even now? If you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, repent of your sins, be born again, and start worshiping Jesus. You were made to worship Him because one day you'll be nothing but skin and bones. One day you'll turn to ash and dust. A few moments right now can change your eternity if you're not a Christian. Ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. But if you're already a Christian, right now worship Him. Ask Him to make you the person He wants you to be so that you don't have to be ashamed so that you don't have to be embarrassed in the next few moments we're going to close out again with songs of worship let these songs of worship be a motto of your life let them be the heart of your life so that when you can't sing a song you'll still worship when you're on your job you'll still worship because you don't need a song to worship you just need a yes to God you just need an appreciation for all that He's done you just need to keep Him first in your heart right now Father Show us how to worship. Teach us to take off the veil that distracts us. To remove the distractions out of our life, so we can see what's most important. We weren't made just to have babies, go to, jo- go to work, make some money, and then die. We were made to worship you. May my life be for your worship. In the name of Jesus. band, would you close us out as we sing this song? Single worship song with the band and I'll dismiss right after this second service you're more than welcome to worship with us if you would like we worship you Jesus come rest on us today this comes from the Bible we're gonna make our heart his resting place